Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tap Calf Transmissions, the only Star Wars podcast featuring myself, Corey of Corey Loses and Corey's Datapad, and of course, my co-host, Mr. Eckhart Slatter. How are you doing, Eck? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? And you're correct that it is the only Star Wars podcast with those two wonderful things, three wonderful things, me, you, and our friendship. Yeah. Power what if those is made up? But... <laughs> Today's episode, we're going to be talking about Han Solo at Star's End. This is supposed to be what we were talking about last week, but YouTube decided to have some technical difficulties. We got about 20 minutes in and then realized that no one was really able to watch it. So we decided we'd uh, put it off to this week. We spoke a bit about potentially covering uh, Han Solo's Revenge as well, but we decided to stick with the original plan. So we're going to be talking about at, at Star's End today so how was that was that was that intro yeah, everything you that hoped was for? good it's it's weird because youtube like never has outages or like very they're very infrequent so like of course when we were about to we're like 20 minutes into a podcast and it happens but yeah i'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy we decided to stick to just one because that way we can give each book the time it deserves we will be a little bit rustier just because there's an extra week in between us reading it although yeah. we did a bit of a, a bit of refreshing but uh, I guess we'll say, too, that next week, then, we'll go on to Han Solo's Revenge. We don't have anything in between, do we? Is there anything you want to talk about um, uh, before that? Well, one thing that has kind of come up again in the last week or so that we've both done videos on is that there has been more on the uh, fan art theft issue. Mm. And uh, you never responded to the message, but I did bring up the possibility of us doing an episode uh, just kind of devoted to that when we get back to the topical stuff. Uh, so thanks oh, yeah. for that. I appreciate I appreciate You're your welcome. prompt responses. I'm a good uh, uh, but Jesus yeah, so calling me out, goddamn! <laughs> Someone has to do it. Everyone else is afraid to. Yeah, fair enough. But uh, uh, that could be a good idea. So, do you want to do that next week, or do you want to do that? Well, I was thinking we'd just stick with the original. Do all three Han Solo books or okay. Han Solo adventures? Have that topical <laughs> episode, and then uh, see where we're going from there. Can you imagine you go into like a used bookstore, be like? Yeah, do you have the uh, Han Solo books from the 1970s? Like, sir, does this look like an adventure store? This is a bookstore. <laughs> we only have the Han Solo trilogy. <laughs> you need to go to the adventure store down the street. Now get out. <laughs> Uncultured swine. <laughs> I did go into my uh, my Star Wars used bookstore today, and I did buy, actually, funny enough, I did buy one of the Han Solo trilogy books. You, I, I go in you there, went like, to a place today? I did, yep. My local bookstore has been open places. the entire time. Yeah, it's like you can have like three people in there um, and you have to like wash your or you've got to sanitize your hands when you go in and they wipe everything down. Hmm. Um, you don't do like yeah. curbside ordering and pickup of your Han Solo no, adventures? You can't, no, you can't do that there. I don't think so anyway. Um, but I, I've been there a couple of times. Once like right when things before everything fully uh, went crazy and then just today when I was running out. And... Um, yeah, like I haven't seen anybody else in there, so I like I'm kind of worried about them, to be honest. Uh, I wanted to support my local bookstore, hmm. and everyone should do that when buying the books to read along with the podcast. That's right. Support Justin's local bookstore. <laughs> I don't even know the name of it, but yeah, support it if you can. Um, in general, things on kind of the east coast of Canada—we're not Americans—has. Uh, 
been a bit less restrictive, right? You guys haven't had as much mm, of a high case sort load. of like like we, yeah, we've had a lower case load, but like we have been pretty locked down like since about March, all the restaurants and stuff have been closed. So it's like I was listening on the radio yesterday and 30% of all small business or all businesses in total were closed down and that was mostly restaurants and like gyms and stuff. Um the close wasn't mandated for everyone else. But most small businesses at least closed as well. Um, but things, so, but like they can technically open up at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, but like right now, the cases are very limited. Like all of our deaths are coming from literally this one nursing home in Halifax, uh, which is quite sad. I think we've had like 50, we've had like 60 deaths in Nova Scotia. I think 52 have come from, it's called Northwood, uh, Northwood <laughs> Nursing Home. So it's quite concentrated in one area. Um, but yeah, people, people are still taking it fairly seriously. Mm-hmm. I think it's just cause how we are over here, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, like New Brunswick, I think is had the, uh, like house pairing for a while now. As right. Well. Yeah. Yeah. We just got that. Um, and it's been kind of stressful for us because we've got a kid and obviously there's two sets of grandparents, but, um, I think, yeah, I think they even had three household pairings for a while. Um, but they went like they went like twenty days or something without a new case. Same with Newfoundland and PEI. So, yeah. What yes. about what about over over in Upper Canada? <laughs> well, three hundred years ago, when it was called that, it was uh, <laughs> uh, everything's still pretty pretty locked down here. Like Ford has been talking about opening certain things, but. I mean, it's pretty clear to everyone it's just economic reasons that he'd want to be opening it rather than any actual advice from... Uh, the ledge. From, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, up until that point, I was like, I was mostly on board with how we'd been handling it in Ontario because mm-hmm. um, we've kept cases manageable, we've kept reasonable restrictions, and people have been complying pretty well with them. Uh, yeah. But now it's just sort of uh, some of the more impatient people to open up have decided to push that along but i don't think anyone's here to listen to more stuff about covid because that's unavoidable everywhere else so maybe we should uh yeah any um, any star wars topics that you want to bring up before we get to uh mr solo i'm trying to think there's not really been a whole lot of news that i can think of besides for that copyright stuff which i guess we'll talk about in a future video uh it's just i feel like it's just every week there's just more like TV show rumors. I don't feel like talking about them anymore. Um, it's just like every week there's like, oh, Enfys Nest is going to be in the show or Timothy Oliphant's going to be in the show. I just mixed real and real person in a character or like Boba Fett's definitely going to be in it or whatever else. It's just like no one really knows. Everyone just wants to get a scoop, I feel like. Um, so that's really yeah. the only thing that I feel like is going on. Just every the world's just stopped, so we just gotta we just gotta sit here with our Han Solo adventures and hope for the best. Go back to a more simple time. Nothing happened bad in the seventies or the eighties. We're yeah. not looking at things through rose. I mean, we weren't alive, so. But there's no such thing as nostalgia glasses. That's right. But you um, also you sound very different. Is there is there any oh, announcements yes. you'd I like to make guess... to the podcast? Because of the podcast, because of how much I love the listeners, uh, and because I'm streaming as well quite a bit, I decided to get a new microphone set up. So if you guys were waiting 
for a sign to follow the podcast on your favorite audio platforms like Spotify or iTunes or Podbean, and you had maybe TapCaf Transmissions, T-A-P-C-A-F Transmissions searched up, but the follow button not clicked, now is probably the time to do so. Um, yeah, mine still hasn't arrived. Uh, I gave you my address, I think, so it should be here anytime, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Your audio always sounded pretty good. Well, you don't know what I sound like in real life. You just know what I sound like through the microphone. So as far as you know, I sound very different. The microphone is really messing this up. Yeah, that's what I was kind of worried about, too. I was like, I was like telling Kelsey this. People are going to hear something closer to my real voice. Like, what if the like shitty quality of the Blue Yeti was like the only thing keeping my career afloat? <laughs> I, it's a thing. Yeah, for I, sure. I've seen plenty of careers ruined by uh, by switching off the Blue Yeti. So that's why they yeah. have that saying about like when you're growing on YouTube, you're riding the Blue Yeti. <laughs> Ask anyone in the industry. I thought you were chasing the Blue else. Yeti. No, you're chasing the Blue Yeti when you're like really just starting off and you're using uh, like a little stand mic or a headset mic with a piece of kitchen sponge taped over it as a pop filter, <laughs> uh, which is that's how I started. But I, I have too. a picture of that somewhere. But yeah, you sent it. You sent it to me a while ago. Actually, it was pretty cool. <laughs> it well, didn't do anything, but yeah, I, it, I I thought it might do something ish when I was testing it. So I decided to stay safe and look like a complete idiot wearing that. Uh, but yeah, so now I have just the the road, and yeah, I'm I on the road the, to success, chasing. The I had Yeti. the. Uh, the I was recording off my Samsung Galaxy S6, um, and when I was in my apartment in Toronto, I was like, "There's nothing I could do," so I would just sit down with like the bed behind me, or in front of me, I guess. And then when I moved to my house, I would like sit in my closet with like all of my clothes around me to try to <laughs> muffle some of the sound. Um, which I, I heard when like Adam Driver was recording some pickup lines for Kylo Ren in Episode Nine. That that's how he did it. Like he. He recorded in his closet, I guess. But um, when I first started doing YouTube, I didn't know anything, which I'm, I'm sure is the same with you. So, like, I would record these audio files on my phone and I would transfer them to my computer. But I didn't know how to, like, I would end up with, like, 150 audio files because I'd record, you know, 10 seconds I wasn't very good at and then I'd stop. So when I did the video, I'd have to put all of them together. And I didn't know about, like, automatic features and, like, Audacity or whatever that did that. So I'd be like trimming each like hundred pieces of audio, just like oh my god, that sounds horrible. That was yeah, like Eckhart's Ladder or like your pre Eckhart's Ladder. No, that was Sing that was City the days. that was Eckhart's Ladder. Yeah, yeah, that was the old lore video, and it sucks because some of my most popular videos are those ones. Just got to re-record this, the scripts and redo them. Remastered th- Eckhart's I'm Ladder remastered. I'm thinking about it. All right. Uh, I guess that brings us to Han. Han. Han? I'm not very familiar Han. with this character. Uh, yeah. Um, so Han Solo is an interesting one. He appears for like a second in like three different shots of the um, cantina scene in A New Hope. Um, he's like, you know how there's like a that spaceman, like the spaceman alien in the New Hope cantina. Does he have like the vest and stuff? No, he's got like he's got like a literal spaceman's helmet. Han Solo kind of looks like that. That's the only reason I'm saying it for reference. Okay. 
Yeah, he appears in a couple seconds of the cantina scene. He's like I thought you were saying the spaceman was Han Solo. No, no, I was just using it for reference. Han's basically the skinny alien next to Chewbacca. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I keep seeing like I was rewatching the movies a little while ago, and uh, like I, I kept seeing that character kind of in the background, mm-hmm. and like sometimes he'd even be in scenes with like uh, Luke, Leia, Chewie, Obi Wan, but you have to really look for him. Uh, and then like he's even there if you're watching at the end of A New Hope when Chewbacca comes in and shoots shoots Darth Vader to get him off Luke's tail. Uh, He actually gets a line at that point, which I think it's really easy to miss. But, Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so I think it's nice when they have these kind of uh, books that go into the backstories of some of the characters that, uh, Mm -hmm. that kind of supplement some of the main characters from the, from the original trilogy. Like you get so much like Mara Jade in the original trilogy with all the stuff at Jabba's (laughs) palace and she shows up a little bit in the uh, uh, sisters from uh, what are they called again? The uh, oh, what are the sisters on Tatooine as well? Um, the sisters, the Tanaka sisters. sisters, yeah. And then one of them is uh, supposed to be the body. What's her name again? Oh, the bodyguard, Shada Ducal? yeah, Shada, yeah, like. Shada, Mera, they all play such big roles in the movies, and then they show yeah. up like a couple times in the expanded universe. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's nice that we get some of these earlier books from like, especially early on, where yeah. uh, rather than giving more more time to some of those uh, major characters that we all knew about, uh, mm-hmm. you get some like Han, who uh, played such a minor role in the movies, but now we get to sort of see what led to them being in the background of the Millennium Falcon shots. For sure. Uh, I really feel like this bit was better the first time we did it last week. <laughs> really? I thought it was kind of worse, but let's just... <laughs> we're just joking, obviously. Han is Han is an important character, for those of you who didn't get the joke. A um, little bit fan servicey when he appeared in that uh, spinoff movie, but that's okay. Um, Star Trek? Wrath of Khan? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking solo, but no. Oh. Well, let's talk about this this actual book because you did mention this is a very very early uh, EU book. I'm we said this last week. I'm pretty sure this is actually the first non uh, movie novelization expanded universe book because it does come out before Splinter of the Mind's Eye. It comes out in uh, what is 79. it? Seventy nine. Yeah, April of seventy nine. I think. Yeah, that's um, the the date that's in my copy at least. Uh, for the yeah. copyright, so yeah, it's that's... definitely seventy nine. I think I think it was April of uh, of seventy nine. So like earlier even than the newspaper comics. Um, so if you're like a, if you got to think about it too, if you're a Star Wars fan in the seventies, like you can't just look up Star Wars on the internet. You can't really get it on VHS or DVD or anything. So like you get to see the movies, you get to collect the toys, which was probably part of the reason why toy collecting was so big and you get books like this um so definitely a pretty serious and important part of star wars um fandom and star wars uh just generally the expanded universe but because this is so early it's definitely a lot different than what would come later including in you know related to han in the later han solo trilogy which was set on set much earlier in his life or just generally uh, Star Wars EU stuff. Yeah, so this is basically uh, the Han Solo adventures as a whole are 
uh, three stories. There's Han Solo at Star's End, which is what we're talking about today. Han Solo's Revenge, which we're talking about next week. And then Han Solo and the Lost Legacy, which is going to be two weeks from now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're set about a year or two, or well, two to one year before uh, the Battle of Yavin. So we do get to see a little bit of like Han's empathetic side kind of coming forward and the stuff that would progress into him becoming a rebel or Mm -hmm. fighting for the rebellion beyond just I'm in it for the money. Um, And there's there's a few things that are introduced here which uh, don't get fleshed out very much or don't really get used in other sources, but I'm reading the new Jedi order series. And mm-hmm. I'm right now at, uh, James Lucino's agents of chaos books. And, uh, it's one of the few other places that uses the corporate sector authority. And even some of these characters in other star Wars media. So it, it was a pretty big coincidence that it happened that way, but mm-hmm. I found it pretty interesting to kind of just see how, uh, those characters get used in each instance, especially going from like Han as the uh, early smuggler archetype into Han, like f- almost 30 years later as the general, general yeah. living the, the legit life. Yeah. Uh, I haven't actually gotten to any of the characters who have been introduced in at star's end. I think they come up later in mm. revenge and lost legacy. Cause I'm pretty sure Roa comes up, uh, but yeah, it's one of the few places that the corporate sector authority actually gets used, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so so yeah, and the corporate sector authority, for those who don't know, and if you haven't read this book, you know, and we wouldn't expect you to know, is basically they're described as inhabiting one of the arms of the galaxy. One thing I quite like about this book, by the way, is how big it makes the galaxy seem, because the corporate sector authority is not even an arm; it's it's the end of one of the arms, basically. But it's this whole tens of thousands of star systems. Uh, I quite enjoyed that. But they're mm-hmm. basically a stand-in for the Empire, essentially. Um, an Empire based on just many corporations. They're, like, exploiting all of these worlds. Um, they're mining for resources. They're exploiting people as well. Uh, and they're even sometimes crueler than the Empire as well, um, especially in these books. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so if you don't know who the Corporate Sector Authority is, basically they're that. Um, and I guess that just they were just created because... Presumably, uh, Brian Daly wasn't able to work with the Empire, so he needed a stand-in for these adventures. Kind of like what we get with... Um, it's it's like same as when the Star Wars Marvel comics ended, they couldn't deal with the Empire, so they made a new enemy. It's kind of like what's going on here. Yeah, I think a part of that is probably not wanting to uh step on the toes of george lucas's creations but also uh not wanting to have han fight the empire directly Mm, in uh in a period before he's a rebel so creating this entity that as the corporate sector is this sort of like greedy credit-based thing with a lot of slavery showing stuff that like han has already proven himself to be kind of against and able to go up against for its own good without having him be wanted by the empire immediately. Uh, So they serve a pretty good purpose there. Like they're sort of allowed to exist by the empire, kind of an entity that was created. It's kind of, it's weird lore wise because the corporate sector was around during the Republic 
then mm-hmm. the corporate sector authority was created uh, around the start of the Empire. The lore on it, again, like a lot of this other stuff from early periods of Star Wars mm-hmm. is kind of funky. But they're allowed, they're independent, but still in some ways governed by the Empire. So acting within uh, certain limited authority within the corporate sector, which is what yeah. makes them the corporate sector authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, without technically being the Empire. So it, it's kind of a a substitute there. Yeah, that's a good explanation, I think. Um, but yeah, like you're right. A lot of this lore isn't really touched on, especially because there is such a big gap between like kind of the restart of the expanded universe in the 90s and this. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of what was going on at this point, like there weren't that many novels. It was mostly... Um, it was mostly there was like the Star Wars Marvel comics. Then there was the um, Star Wars newspaper strips as well. And actually, we talked about this a bit when we were trying to record the episode the first time. Um, I've been trying to get my hands on it, but there's actually a version of this story, the Han Solo, uh, or maybe the entire Han Solo adventures that's told sort of in that newspaper comic format. So basically each, I don't know if it was, I think it was weekly. So like each Saturday or whatever, you'd open up your newspaper and there would be a new uh, strip detailing, you know, a portion of the adventure, which is pretty cool. Mm. And um, yeah, so this is actually something that came out the Hansel Adventures during Del Rey's first time holding the license, because the way Star Wars publishing, uh, like the novels went, is that Del Rey had the license. Then during the '90s, Bantam had the license, and that's actually probably what a lot of people would associate early Star Wars with is the Bantam period, mm-hmm. where like Thrawn trilogy. Uh, Jedi Academy stuff, the X-Wing series. That was all during Bantam. And then around 1999, I think it was, the license went back to Del Rey, and that's when they put in, or that's when they started working on the new Jedi Order series, which mm-hmm. was kind of an attempt to bring everything together within Star Wars, because before then, under both the original Del Rey license and uh, the Bantam license, the idea of like a progressive universe where the choices made by the end of the book have actually impacted things beyond a few like uh, almost Simpsons-esque canned yeah. series where there is sort of some progression, but really things end kind of the same way they started. Uh, they were trying to get past that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so there's also some weird stuff that just shows how little certain ideas had been established within the universe. Like one thing that I noted or had a note of was that droids are mm. spelled with an apostrophe? Yeah, like a shortening of android. Yeah. That yeah. didn't like that. Let's not let's not do that. Yeah, like that. There, there's a lot of. I guess there's there's a lot of stuff like that. Another example, just because, like now when we when we read a Star Wars book, um, not only do we have all this knowledge we've gained from prior Star Wars books, but also like all of this knowledge that would have been very rare at the time, like. How many people, I can't remember if the word Wookiee said in A New Hope, but how many people would have known Chewbacca was a Wookiee? Or specifically, another example that we see in this book is the first time Chewbacca takes his bowcaster, it's specifically called his crossbow weapon. And like you would never write his crossbow weapon in a modern Star Wars book because anyone reading it knows it's called a bowcaster. Mm-hmm. But they were basically starting from scratch in this Um so, yeah. And some of the complaints that we've had with uh, 
some of the other books that we've covered have been that they're a bit too referential of stuff that's happened in the movies mm-hmm. or like anytime someone's like, oh, well, this will be fine because remember this other time we did something and it's always yeah. referencing A New Hope or uh, Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. Uh, I didn't really notice too much of the book doing that. There were a few tropes no. that kind of get used like really early on. Uh, something that happens like almost every time the Millennium Falcon is in anything, the sensor gets knocked off. And mm-hmm. I, as soon as they were talking about like flying through tight spaces, I was like, okay, I know where this is going. But but I mean, that hadn't happened yet. Like, because the sensor doesn't get knocked off in A New Hope, right? So, because I had that marked down too, because it is kind of tropey, but it's also like, well, it never happened by then, to be fair. Didn't it? By the time this book came out? No, because there's just a new hope in the center. I don't think it's knocked off in that movie. Huh. Gets shot at, but hmm. that's yeah. even better. Yeah. So it makes the point even stronger. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I I agree 100%. Um, it, the book is interesting. I mean, it's called Han Solo Adventures, so like you should kind of know what you're getting. But and it it almost starts off like an Indiana Jones movie too, because it has like a yeah. first kind of little adventure at the beginning, like a little, um, just like, I don't know, like a little fun situation or whatever. It starts off with that, and then it moves on into the, the bigger story. That's like how almost every Indiana Jones movie starts off. Like, he'll be doing some sort of little uh, mission, or, or like he'll be exploring something that might connect to the later story or might not. Um, and yeah, that's what we get. And that's what we get in this book. And I, th- I think that's how the other three start as well. Um, the beginning of the version of the book that I have, by the way, starts off with a really nice, um, prelude by, uh, Pablo. Um, and yeah, he mentions basically kind of that idea too, just how kind of uh, like how cinematic these books almost feel. And certainly for their time in like the Star Wars EU, um, how Daly really tried to focus on capturing what he calls the essential Han Solo, which I'm sure we'll talk about, which I think he does a fairly good job at doing. Um, and then basically just how they kind of capture the spirit of adventure, which I think is really what the only thing a Star Wars book at this time really had to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Um, you can move on. What's up? Oh, sorry, Was Indiana Jones out at the time? Uh, I the first think one? First Indiana Jones might have been. Because uh... I've never been a big Indiana Jones fan. I haven't seen two of the four, No, I guess, I guess but... Raiders of the Lost Ark only came out in 1981. I thought it came out in 79 as well. So no, no Indiana Jones out yet. All right. Because I, I was it's, about it's to start pretty... thinking like, how much does this actually compare to Indiana Jones? And maybe I shouldn't have been. <laughs> but no. <laughs> I mean, it is a pretty... Yeah, it's, it's like a very serialized adventure story yeah. format, I think. Well, it kind of gets like, back look, to like Star Wars as this kind of space western almost, where it's not mm-hmm. really a western, but uh, a lot of the the beats are kind of there. Totally. I was looking at just like old, like I was in the bookstore today, and there, the western section is right next to, well, there's a Star Wars section within the sci-fi section. And the sci-fi section is right next to the western section, so I was looking at um, all the old kind of western serials and stuff. And I was just like reading them and I was just thinking about like how they're so similar to most like Phantom Era Star Wars book. Like if you replace like the names of the characters, like you can basically imagine it being a Star Wars story. Mm. Um, 
which is part of the reason why I like them because I really love westerns. I don't know if I'd ever read a like all those. There's like literally thousands of these. Like they're like you know 150 page, very short. Like this book, um, pulpy western novels. I don't know if I'd ever read read them, but I definitely like the movies and it's one of the reasons why I like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So we get to uh, that opening adventure that you're talking about is Han running weapons for a group of mm-hmm. rebels within the corporate sector, uh, yep. the Darun, who mm-hmm. we never find out how their rebellion goes. Han uh, was just going to give him the rifles and leave, but Chewbacca ends up kind of convincing Han to to stick around and just... Or, not really even stick around. Spend an extra five minutes there to show them how the rifle works. <laughs> it's basically like point this way, shoot at them, uh, telling them to like uh, stay on single shot and because the the espos, which are the security police in the yeah. corporate sector, they're always staying on full burst and just going going wild. So if they yeah. so if the Darun see that happening, they know that that's not one of theirs and they can uh, continue shooting at that person, which is. Good thinking by Han. Han, an expert in guerrilla warfare. Yep. <laughs> Star Wars has a big thing about um, teaching the, you know, teaching the locals how to fight off their oppressor. Hmm. You see in the Mandalorian and the Clone Wars and everything. Um, but yeah, in the idea of Han being ultimately a good person, I would say is a little ham-fisted, like in this novel, because it's like, it's very yeah. specifically people saying like the exact same thing that Luke and Han have talk about like before Han is leaving Yavin or Han and Leia basically like oh you're pretending to be this smuggler but you're actually a, like a good person mm-hmm. um like it it said very very obviously I'd say on like four or five different occasions yeah. during this book Yeah but we I never mean, really see much of him being a complete jerk yeah. uh everything he does in the book is kind of generally the right thing except for when he's uh paying pluvo two for one and decides to pay half of it with uh the dinko oh yeah <laughs> which i mean that's fun yeah not really making him a bad person yeah i mean he, he maybe is a bit more willing to kill but I, like you gotta think like what did what does brian daly know about han solo at this point yeah. And, like, the only thing he knows is that he's that general rogue with a heart of gold. Maybe, like, a hidden heart of gold. But, you know, he's that he's that kind of character. So, yeah, it makes sense that most of that, most of the book is kind of written around that. Yeah. And, well, a lot of it does tend to come from, like, Chewbacca pushing him towards the, mm-hmm. the right direction. But it also does reference just how old Chewbacca actually is and gets it pretty close to what would yeah, become I was, I was surprised the Mark by later. That. Yeah. Because uh, I... Th- I don't think there's ever like a, a specific number that's given or like a super specific range, but it does talk about how like to Chewbacca, Han's incredibly young and Chewie'd been yeah. around for long before very, Han very was. Very, very long time. Yeah, so. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Good call. Good call, Brian Daly. Yeah. It nailed nailed that one. Um, I was wondering where like a lot of the terminology came from at this point. So like I imagine... I, like, did, did they say the word Wookiee in A New Hope? I'm trying to remember. Either way, I'm sure it's I don't think it's ever in, in the novelization somewhere or mm-hmm. like, uh, but even like Bowcaster, like, I, I, I guess most of the stuff at this point came from the movie, the novelization, and maybe some of George Lucas's notes. But it's very weird because Star Wars now has such like a, 
the like such a framework anytime you're writing a star wars story you know you've got planets to draw on you've got technology to draw on um you've got all of these things that have been kind of established whether even like the west end game source books which mm-hmm. were like we talked about in when you're we discussing the thrawn books how they were kind of foundational like they couldn't even be relied on at this point so yeah and that's another place that the corporate sector stuff does come out because these books get uh get some source books and the csa becomes the setting of a lot of early tabletop role-playing game stuff mm-hmm. uh so for the non like empire new republic or sorry empire rebel they tend to mm-hmm. actually be one of the groups that has the most fleshed out roster if you're trying to develop a ground roster for a strategy game which is really helpful mm. and that doesn't really help anyone other than me uh <laughs> but you know yeah it's i mean good even stuff. Even like their spaceships also get pretty well fleshed out. We get, isn't the Invincible class I think name dropped in this one? Uh, I don't know if like... the Invincible is name dropped, but it's definitely like referenced directly in that there's the Dreadnought that they're talking about. I thought they said Invincible class. They might actually say it, but I don't. I don't know. I'm not yeah. willing to put my money on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they even get like the the one thing that I think they kind of change a little bit is. The corporate sector authority in this is described as having very high tech equipment. Hmm. Um, and I think later on, they're like kind of more seem to have like surplus stuff. Um, but maybe that's just maybe that's just me, how, how I'd imagine them, I guess. Yeah, I think the surplus stuff ends up just being like uh, how they get certain extra material, but like mm-hmm. their homemade stuff or home design stuff still tends right. to be relatively high tech but a lot of it is built around like crowd suppression so mm-hmm. they have really high tech grenades and riot shields and stuff <laughs> to deal with unruly populaces because they they become very much this dystopian uh hellhole i guess yeah. what is it like a corp corporatocracy or something like i don't know what you'd technically hmm. yeah but they're not they're not good folks they're not good folks they um, are not what did you think generally i know we're kind of getting a little off rack of the pop but what did you think generally of like the writing especially do you think it held up to like a modern star wars book like obviously some of the the norms weren't there but like what did you think of the basic writing there was never any point where it like really brought me out of it other than certain uh certain things were like the uh my sister just texted me saying she's watching so that's that's a little off putting. You can stay Ricky but uh <laughs> there was never a point where it really was jarring other than calling droids droids with an apostrophe and that mm. that might have just been so disconcerting that it it threw me off of anything else <laughs> but I was thinking about it at the time when I was reading it, and yeah, there there was nothing that super stood out to me. Like it was a bit, it was clearly seventies, but mm-hmm. like Han never ended a conversation saying like peace, so that would have been too much. I did notice that Han used a lot of like uh, in universe like sayings or phrases. Like he, he wouldn't end with peace, but he'd end with like space is out or like <laughs> <laughs> like you know what I mean. And I was I, don't know, I just thought that was kind of. Kind of good for a chuckle. Like, like stars out, brother. <laughs> Chewbacca was actually just a hippie who hadn't shaved in a while. That's the big 
That's the big <laughs> twist when we get to end of uh, Lost Legacy is just Chewbacca is a super hairy tall dude. <laughs> uh, they just go to Woodstock be... at the end of the book. It, that part was weird. <laughs> yeah, that was. All they were looking for was some, was some dank weed. <laughs> <laughs> it's legal in the corporate sector, man. <laughs> Look, I got my license right here. <laughs> That's actually what they were trying to get for for Jess's group. Doc was yeah, actually just... imprisoned for not having his license on them when the Espos raided their facility. Listen, man, growing's legal, but you got to have your papers. <laughs> I just mistook what the papers were supposed to be, man. <laughs> well, that was a pretty good, uh, stereotypical high. Uh, I watched like... a lot of that 70s show, man. It kind of goes, it starts to bleed your Canadian, your stereotype yeah, Canadian Yeah, it, it starts turning into, into Bill Clinton as well. <laughs> it just gets really deep into there, man. I don't know why I always do Bill Clinton like he's high. Well. <laughs> it, it's kind of funny, though, because the Thrawn trilogy also does some stuff like that. Like, the Thrawn trilogy, I think we forgot to talk about this, but especially book three, like, I'm pretty sure, like, 12 different characters talk about, like, dropping the hammer. Um Yeah. And there's like a few other things. Like, what do they call the underworld again? Um, they got a name for it. I can't remember what. But so, yeah, it was like, I'm, I'm cool with them, like, making the in-universe lingo a bit weird. <laughs> well, I think that helps with the whole not really bringing you out from real world slang. Because mm. the in-universe slang kind of stays consistent. And then we don't have to deal with the fact that it's... Uh, Different slang in the seventies, eighties, nineties from what we hear now. Yeah. It just stays universally weird. Like uh Emperor's Black Bones. <laughs> yeah. That's a classic. I'm just, I'm just reading to see if I can find anything. But yeah. Uh no problem with it. Just kinda just just good for a chuckle, I guess. The evil bat creature being called a Dinko was kind of stupid, but I was a little disappointed that like later books didn't really canonize or not canonized, but the Dinko, that draw, Dinko character, like, not the Dinko, but just like just generally like later books didn't draw from a whole lot that was set up here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it was really just James Luceno that ended up doing it. But most mm -hmm. other books were afraid to pull from anyone else and didn't really want to pull from anyone else. Mm -hmm. It was just what can we do that's based on uh, based on the movies directly, except yeah. for maybe the Thrawn trilogy, where a lot of books after that were kind of trying to yeah from there and for the bantam stuff a good amount of that just comes from the fact that 30 books came out in the space of a month and a half or whatever <laughs> so they didn't really have the opportunity to but then there's also like the dark horse stuff where they didn't want to uh pull yeah. from bantam at all and vice versa so it's kind of understandable with, especially with how much it seems like ryan daly did go out of his way to make sure this was kind of self-contained off in a corner of the galaxy mm -hmm. it's hard to really set up a lot that goes back to these characters but uh, Big Bungie, who is briefly mentioned here and has another <laughs> weird name, does come up in the uh, James Lucino books. And Beautiful. he he lives up to his name. He is quite a big man. Quite a big man. Just a real large fella. Does he come up in the Revenge and Lost Legacy stuff? Because there's a reference know, I, to I, why he's yeah, pissed off at Han in mm -hmm. uh, Heroes Trial. But then I think it's also the same thing that gets mentioned is why he's pissed off at Han here. Mm -hmm. Where it's like blowing up a 
Paradise Dome or Pleasure Dome or something. Strafing yeah. his Pleasure Dome, which sounds very <laughs> sexual. <laughs> no problem with that. <laughs> Do we get a book about how Han Solo strafed Big Bungie's Pleasure Dome? <laughs> you know, if, if there's any goodness in the universe, we would. Um... <laughs> One that that was that, one of the daily comics that you were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? You're like, you're all excited for like a week. Like, oh, what's Hansel going to do today? All he's doing is strafing some some pleasure dome somewhere. On, this isn't man. even what the term was. I'm just. Really... I think, isn't it? Isn't that what the term is? I think it is. It might be. It's not worth yeah. looking up now, but it's clearly something we should bring up next episode and make sure we get the record straight on this. Because it would be well, a shame to do all this immaterial on strafing a pleasure dome and have it be incorrect. I will say Han does seem to be quite a uh, quite a little player in this book, eh? Like they yeah, always talk about how like like Han was like two steps away from making love to that uh, waitress there. <laughs> there's the waitress. There's Jessa. There's the cat whose name I forget. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, basically those are the supposed three, to be the space James in the Bond. Book, so. Yeah. Like... <laughs> no, there's uh... Jess's dad. To be honest, <laughs> well, there's also the wife of uh, the governor. Yeah, yeah, the vice prex. Weirdly, they focus on her being fat a lot. <laughs> yeah, that came up quite a bit. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like Brian Daly just fucking hated his neighbor's wife or something. <laughs> he wrote, the, he wrote the. Uh... He wrote it about her, or God forbid, his own wife. Like, yeah, it really. There's not a, a single time where she comes up where it's not met, like where her weight is not explicitly mentioned. It's like it's like she she obesely walked down the hallway. <laughs> Han turned around and bounding, taking up most of the hallway. We can't understate that. Han turned around, and before he'd even done so, her massive bulk had entered his vision. And it's weird that during the like the droid fight scene, she was standing on a scale the whole time, and Han kept looking at it, so he kept saying the it's number. Like, wow, she is fat. <laughs> I thought it was just a big dress. I thought it, maybe canceled. it was that, and it was leading up towards some sort of like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> one thing I do like is when uh, Han does talk about i think he calls the space battle the show i was like yeah and then he talks about riding them to the cellar and i was like man is han a canadian now like <laughs> like is han playing all right boys NHL let's go up for a rip <laughs> like like is han gonna start talking about back checking with the boys and <laughs> gore and top cheddar like <laughs> is it just an episode of trailer park boys halfway through <laughs> Han's like, Chewie doesn't like when people touch his flow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I appreciated that bit of a uh, bit of lingo, though. But just as general, so as general story. Um, so Han does this first little adventure uh, where he's basically doing gun running. His ship is uh, his ship. The Millennium Falcon is uh, I forget what exactly. I think he gets his dish knocked off and he gets some damage otherwise. So he kind of limps his way to this. Is it an? I forget. It's an asteroid or a planet. He's going to a pretty prominent planet. Was it right? I don't know. I don't think it was Eddie, 
but it was some major place because oh, he's going yeah. to meet up with Pluvo two for one to yeah. pay him. And I'm going to say oh, Pluvo right. two for one every time it comes up because that name is just so lame in seventies. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he was paying them and starts like setting up a scene at the restaurant they're at and ends mm-hmm. up having a firefight to get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he like gets back to the Falcon out of imp- like getting it out of impound by tricking the soldier to leave him alone. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like they had very bad security there. But yeah, I do like the scenes where they're just like navigating like just the the like the aspects of, like the the less important bits of being a smuggler. Like, oh, your ship got impounded and it's like fucking militarized all to hell. So like, how are you going to deal with that? I thought that was like, yeah kind of interesting because it is like a a very light book so there's like it can talk about that stuff without dragging down the plot too much i guess mm-hmm. well like the main thing he's trying to do in the book is like the reason he wants to get doc back is so mm-hmm. that he can get the ship fixed and leave the or work properly in the corporate sector uh because yeah. there was some documentation that he needed on top of the uh the fixes mm-hmm. yeah because so I guess we'll we'll continue with the with the plot then basically. Um so he wants to get like this this um it's like a license to operate basically, right? Mm-hmm. Like so you can move stuff you can fly a little more freely, isn't it, in the CSA? Yeah. In the corporate sector. I think it was um, stuff to make it so he's allowed to have his weapon. It was like two weeks ago now that I did the full read, so that mm-hmm. that's one of the details I'm less clear on, even though it's the main point of the book. So we're we're well, good at this it's job. It's just like a yeah. It's just the thing he's striving for because he'll be able to make a lot of money. Because another thing about the corporate sector is it's kind of seen as like this still kind of underdeveloped region. Like there's still a lot of money to be made in there. Yeah. Um, which is why Han is there. Um, but so so his ship has really um, been busted up a bit. So he goes to Jessa's uh, workshop and the. I forgot they stopped at another planet first. Is Jessa's on a asteroid? I can't remember. I forget. Yeah, so he goes to Jessa's um, because he's gotten his stuff repaired there by Jessa's father, um, but he's missing, and basically she's like, she offers him a deal. She'll install, like, this new high-grade sensor on his ship. She'll give him this pass that he needs. All he needs to do is transport these people to a planet and help them out. Um, yes. Anything you want yeah. to add about Jessa or anything? Uh, not right now. No, I think we kind of covered it where it's set up as this kind of like uh romantic subplot or like they've uh met before and it's yeah, been a whole thing. But mm-hmm. the yet yeah, Han doesn't even want to do it at first, but Jessa kind of like says, oh, well, Chewie really wants the Falcon to get all this extra work, don't you, Chewie? And then Chewie kind of guilts Han into doing it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's just got to get the droid to um, to Recon, and yeah. it's up to Recon whether he'll tell Han what they're actually doing with it. I think it, I think it is just bollocks at that point. Well, it's bollocks, but... Um... Well, bollocks in uh, Mad Max. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Mad Max. Well, he doesn't know he doesn't know he's inside of him, like because he pops out. I think yeah. the first time he sees him. But yeah, but like uh, Lennox Reckon's crew is still with Reckon. It's just those guys, and then he's oh, got to get them. And yeah, um, it's kind of funny though because Han arrives at this station, um, 
and Jess is like, yeah, my dad, Doc, is missing, and Han's like, Doc's dead, baby, like, <laughs> like, it's, like, shit happens, like, like, he was out doing stuff, like, he's, he's gone, she's just like, she, like, doesn't even argue, she's like, whatever, probably, um, so, they're transporting, or they're transporting these droids, um, to people, and so, it's kind of an interesting setup, basically, there's this larger, really outdated droid, which seems to be having, like, constant existential crisis because it's outdated uh and that larger one's called bollocks and then inside of it is a smaller droid called blue max which is basically like it's kind of like a really small astromech unit in that it can like hack through terminals and stuff um and i also read that bollocks had to be changed in uh, they had a different name in the uk for obvious reasons but well, Han even points out at some point uh, when he's having these philosophical arguments with uh, with Bollocks, like, your name is a joke. What is wrong with you? Yeah. You're trying to act like uh, this has all got some major point, like you're trying to find your function, but your name is a joke, mm-hmm. and you're just here as a taxi service for Max. Uh, so we get a lot of the early, like, this is a theme that comes up through a lot of Star Wars books. Mm-hmm. going forward is like the the droid rights kind of situation or like yeah. to what extent are droids their own people yeah and uh i thought it, there was a sorry go ahead i was just gonna say it kind of reminded me of like the the droid from uh medstar oh yeah yeah good call um it was i thought there was there was a little moment where like han almost destroys bollocks because like Bollocks dares speak out against him. Do you remember that? I thought that was a little mm. maybe out of character. Um, no, because like Khan gets set up as hating droids based on being annoyed by 3PO and Anuho pretty much. But like it pretty heavily highlights how much Han hates droids here and mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the expanded universe. And like mm-hmm. eventually he tells 3PO, you know what? You're all right. I tolerate you having a ra- or tolerate having you around. But he still. Yeah. Uh, got his droid prejudices, and Bollocks kind of gets through to him in a few places. Yeah, or more Max, and then he kind of. By the end, Bullock's. I'd say they've started to really get through to him. Yeah. Um. But we'll see if we see the beginnings of the beginnings of this now, when we eventually go back and read the Han Solo trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Um. That won't be for a while. <laughs> yeah, that'll be that'll be a, quite a while. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting interesting setup. Uh, and of course, there's much more to this. Um, this then, like, it's it's obviously not going to just be because Han thinks that all he has to do is take the droids to this planet, um, and then help them out, and then basically ferry them off, and that's it. But of course, it's being much more than that. Um, so they go to, I think it's called. Well, first, we have the the starfighter battle, escaping the planet. Oh yeah. Because they get raided by the CSA, and then I don't think she actually does much about it afterwards. No, I don't think so. They might move, but like half her crew dies. So, yeah. But the Starfighter battle, I thought was very was pretty cool. It was like very A New Hope esque. You know, it was small scale. It's like I think six ships versus four, maybe. Yeah, they have uh, three pairs of fighters, so like. Han and Jessa each have a uh, wingman and then there's like a pair of brothers yeah. that pretty much immediately die. Yeah. Um, it was pretty brutal too, because it's like, 
it's like one mistake and you're you're you know you're gone more so even than i think like the x-wing novels and stuff like it was very kind of thoughtfully written which i quite liked very almost like slow and methodical i guess not slow but it's not like exactly flashy yeah and they kind of highlight the fact that zen 95s are complete shit yeah so they're probably going to explode and that none of these people are trained fighter pilots and they're going up against yeah. uh the csa people who are mm -hmm. but but yeah it's pretty stressful like i mean and it makes it like it makes you know starfighter combat feel appropriately appropriately stressful um and like Han, he can just like tell these people have never been in any sort of battle just because of like how they're handling the kind of minutes before and it's just mm -hmm. like he, he just like knows half of them are going to be vaped and like he's got to try to um he's got to try to unify them however much he can and teach them whatever and it's kind of another moment there where it's like oh is even in, in this case we got han fighting with himself he's like am i helping them defend this because i need to save the falcon as it's being repaired or am i doing this basically to help out and yeah it's pretty clear that it's it's a little bit of both but he's definitely doing it to be a good guy uh, even though he tries to deny it mm -hmm. and uh so ultimately they win the battle but i think they lose three of the six of them because both brothers die and then yeah Jess's wingmate dies i think he ejects but i can't remember uh and jessa almost dies yeah and han does she basically gets her ship disabled and han goes uh but he basically uses his wing to flip it which i thought was pretty cool mm -hmm. yeah um, i thought it was really well written battle yeah, uh, but sure. i don't know that there's too much else to touch on there no, uh if you want to just get straight much... to the mission yeah, one thing I, I will mention is, and I talked about this in today's video, is it has kind of a good explanation for why uh, spaceship combat is always so close range. He basically talks about how there's like counter, like electronic countermeasures are so good that like targeting things from far off is very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. That was interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they move on to, is it Orin? Is, I think is the name of the, the so. world they go to. And or it's kind three. of cool how, sorry? <coughs> or in three, I think. Or in three, yeah. And it's kind of cool how it's, I think they did a really good job of making this like an interesting world because at least I imagined it as like it being basically these like planes with like maybe wheat or something and then like these giant like automated droids in the background, like these humongous just like behemoths just moving across the landscape, which I thought was a pretty cool image, especially because it's got like this... um like a computer center and a security center on the planet kind of reminded me of like scarif in a way okay. um yeah i thought it was i really like the kind of descriptions of that and then we get some battles there and stuff which all kind of helps with that too yeah and uh because i don't they describe or disguise the falcons like carrying grain in the right yeah so or a grain carrier rather not necessarily yes. bringing grain there, but that's what how they're supposed to disguise the fact that they are carrying. Yeah, and they're carrying it on the droid. way out. So most of the traffic in and out of Orin Three is completely automated. Um, so like he hides the Falcon in like the shell, basically of another ship, um, and it's all filled up and stuff. And then when they're trying to escape, um, then they've kind of got to deal with that because it's full of grain, mm -hmm. um, and they, they end up dumping it if I remember correctly. But yeah, Han uh, brings Bollocks to Rekon, and Han and 
bollocks have a conversation about like this is when bollocks says like oh i guess i'm kind of a smuggler just like you and han's like i don't know about that but uh bollocks makes some good points there yeah uh and kind of sets their relationship on the positive trajectory because up to now bollocks has just been like uh baggage to han and Mm -hmm. he hasn't really been considering that bollocks might have an actual perspective on anything yeah uh so bollocks and reckon both kind of change han's views a bit where uh han gets to reckon gives him the droid and asks like what the hell are you doing with this and reckon says well all of us are missing someone and we're here like what we're trying to accomplish is finding out where every where the people we've lost went and uh i is this when han starts suspecting that doc might be there is that entirely no i don't think he really suspects that I don't think so. I don't think until he arrives. Actually, I could be mistaken. But uh, but yeah, so Reckon kind of at least convinces Han that he's a good person, even if Mm -hmm. not that uh, Han should be working for the right reasons. Uh, So Reckon kind of confides in Han that uh, of his crew of three, there's Reckon, and then he has Torm, the human then yeah uh a mother-son pair uh why do i forget her name it's like ati uh what is it it's uh i remember it's is it ati um is it one of the two yeah it's yeah atoir yeah and yeah, so there's her and her her son, right? Um, yeah. And like you were saying, there's some sort of snitch in the group. Um, yeah, Reckon says, like, it has to be someone within my group that has kind of betrayed us. I have no idea which of the three it is. So him and Han start trying to, like, figure out who it is. Uh, but unfortunately, Reckon gets killed. So that's un- that's that's terrible. Yeah, and they were actually waiting for another one, too. They were waiting for uh, Engret to join them. But basically, I, I think it's sure if it's Torm who arrives. One of them is like, "Yeah, he ain't coming. He's dead." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, but each so, of these, so what they're so like each of these people has had a person stolen from them and or disappeared, and they want this droid Blue Max to help them kind of analyze all this data and find out if they've been taken kind of to a common location, which is how they. They basically discover Star's End, which is yeah this giant kind of prison complex. Yeah, and I think Torm lost his brother. Uh, Paka and Atwar lost uh, Paka's dad, Atwar's partner, mm-hmm. and uh, the way Han is able after Reckon's dead, the way Han is able to kind of suss out who the traitor is is by telling them all a thing to look up, yeah, and seeing who looks up. Uh, so he gave them all the wrong information out loud and slightly wrong. <laughs> yeah. Off by like uh, a couple numbers. So instead of like planet yeah, eight, four, it was planet like... seven. That yeah. uh, was the correct one. And Torm was the one that actually looked up the correct thing on Han had previously kind of lulled him to a false sense of security by saying it's got to be uh pack, I think, because yeah, uh, see how he reacts to stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're in this together, cat, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 crucial to remember that Etoir and Packard are just giant cats, and also like 
especially naked cats. Yeah. And they're kind of pretty sexy too, presumably, because <laughs> they get by with uh, distracting dancing for quite a while. <laughs> well, I think Pack is described as like uh, prepubescent and also heavily armed and skilled in combat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like always just like jumping around and shit. Yeah, You're he's right, mute only, the, as only well. the mom is sexy because she's the one dancing, Pack doing like the uh, the acrobatics or whatever. Yeah. So how's that thing going where you convince the internet that you're not a furry? <laughs> Done with this. That's right. I forgot you had that now. Just end me. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, but uh, So basically as they're escaping this planet... Um, they they run into the local defense, and Chewbacca is captured, and Han, even though he is still kind of a jackass at this point, does have ultimate loyalty to Chewie. Um, so he decides that he is going to uh, to help them uh, break into Star's End, which is again a highly you know militarized facility, and you know break him out. Yeah, so they they intercept a transmission. Like the way they get in is by like intercepting a transmission that some uh, Imperial Entertainers Corps people had to cancel <laughs> yeah. an appearance. So they make up this whole uh, routine, quite a scheme, where they're like these traveling carnies. So <laughs> Pack is a dancer, Hans this kind of like hotshot uh, gunslinger. Uh, and Pack is an acrobat. Mm -hmm. But when they get to Star's End, which is this facility for uh, the Vice Prex, I think he is. Yeah. Uh, it turns out the only entertainment they wanted was uh, like an execution or uh, a gladiator droid, basically, to fight his Annihilator 10. Yeah. So Bollocks ends up getting pulled into the ring to fight... <laughs> This like war machine droid. Yeah, and the thing's like basically just like he's got like a flamethrower and stuff. He's like, if you've ever seen the show like, BattleBots, it's basically that, and it's like, uh, like I've got my Roomba with a fucking knife attached to it versus like Buzzsaw, whatever the thing was called. <laughs> yeah. Every time I read Herkin, I was thinking of um, I think his name is Baron Harkonnen. From uh, Dune, if you I don't know if you've ever read Dune. I'm aware of the name. But... Yeah. Every time I read Herkin, <coughs> I was like Harkonnen. But they're kind of saved by by the wife, uh, where she's like, "Oh well, I know you want to watch the droid destroy stuff, but we've seen that so many times recently. Let's watch the acrobats and the gunslinger for a while." So they're able to go and uh, access different computer systems with Blue Max and Bollocks. Uh, <laughs> Before Bollocks ends up having to uh, to go into the ring, and he he is able to get out of the battle or survive the battle by falling down and pulling out <laughs> some innards that are for some reason unprotected. Yeah, and Han. So each of these people, like we kind of mentioned, have their own kind of skill because they're supposed to be these performers. Mm -hmm. um, so we get the battle bot. We've got the two cats are being. Um, dancers and acrobats 
The other human had been put out the space lock by this point, and Han's thing is he's a sharpshooter. Um, there's also another occasion too in Legends where Han is like a sharpshooter. It's in Fate of the Jedi. He's like on like Dathomir, and there's like this big clan competition, and Han is like seventy at this point, and he just like crushes the sharpshooting. So I was just like, yeah. Oh, we do get a reference earlier, I think, with uh, Pluvo two for one about like Han always shooting first. Yeah, which is funny, and that's something that I think that's how uh, Pablo kind of ended his uh, little dedication. He said, after all, his Han Solo's, his Han Solo, meaning Brian Daly's Han Solo, says in Chapter 6 of Star's End, I happen to like to shoot first, Reckon, as opposed to shooting second. Brian was ahead of the game by nearly 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) So Brian Daly really plants his flag on the biggest debate in the fandom. Before it even uh, started. Yeah. He's really ahead of his time on everything. Based Brian Daly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But when they're talking, when like Box is going through this, he mentions how he was a regimental commander, uh, presumably during the Clone Wars, I guess. So (laughs) is is Box a a CIS commander droid? Uh, He does have art in the... Doesn't he specifically say for the Republic? He might have, but... Uh... Yeah, I remember marking that down too. Bollocks, Clone Wars... Co- I actually wrote Commandeer, but... <laughs> he commandeered the Clone Wars. Yeah, I mean, I guess it probably doesn't say. Yeah, he could be... He could be a... Uh, just some Clone Wars... Clone Wars droid just chilling. Him and Blue Max do get art in the uh, Essential Readers Companion as well. So if people want to look up that, yes, uh, it's the it's one of the the portraits that I really like them. I know some people don't, but yeah, uh, I'm not a huge fan. It's um, the ones with ha- that have uh, um kind of weird color splotches everywhere. Mm. Corin looks very different than he ever does anywhere else. Yes, but Corin always looks different than he ever does anywhere else with every picture. So. Um, so the way they describe Bollocks, like he is a protocol droid, but he's also like a labor droid. Yeah. So like, I, and the way they describe him is like Simeon. So like, I imagined him to have like very wide arms with like, with like, or very wide shoulders with like arms almost reaching the ground, you know, kind of like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, like a loader droid or something. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. but that's not at all how he's presented. He's basically just, he looks like a. He just looks like a protocol droid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're oh, able... he is mentioned to be on Fondor as well too. They say he was the uh, the book says he was from the Fondor um, space yards, which I thought was cool. Yeah, we get a couple different previous jobs for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Fondor for was one of those planets that, like, you know, how like George Lucas had like a bunch of these planets that, like. He basically just used the names interchangeably. I think Fondor must have been one of them too, because it's also it also features pretty heavily in the Marvel comics. Because hmm. like they show the executor being built there. Yeah, is uh, I think Bollocks is kind of like the Mike Rowe of uh, of Star Wars. He didn't actually have these jobs. He was just hosting a show, like Star Wars Dirty Jobs. Imagine like him like pulling a rat out of like some sewer. Got him. 
He's actually cleaning the Star Destroyers as they're getting constructed because you've got to go through all the trash compactors and uh, get all the Dianogas out. And you get a... Then the next episode was like going to watch someone cook the Dianoga. It's a whole system that they really, really fleshed out. I got a little problem with you right now, though. You just mentioned Canadian TV. Um, and you didn't mention Adam Adam Grow. <laughs> How would Cash Cab come up here? You could have worked What's the in connection? There. Do you want me to say to- that... Uh, that uh, Bollocks was driving the cash cab as one of his jobs? I mean... Because that would it. mean he's replaced Adam Grow, And I would uh, never I want like to that. replace Adam like Grow yeah, like because that. he tweeted at us, okay? And yeah. I appreciate that. Should we, should we share what happened? I, no one will understand unless Ricky's still watching, so share with Okay, so basically Keemstar, noted clown Keemstar, tweeted, Billions is the best show on TV. I've never even heard of the show, but... Keemstar said he's obviously not wrong. So I retweeted it and said, saying this as reruns from the 2010-2017 Cash Cab series still air on TV. Pretty questionable. And then Corey said, you bring this show up a lot and it worries me a little. Which I thought was highly offensive. So I tweeted, Adam Grow, can you save this soul? Adam Grow is the host of um, Cash Cab on Canadian television, or was. Trying to find the exact tweet because it was a while ago. You don't have it. I, I used to have it printed on my wall, but uh, I had to move <laughs> it upstairs into the living room so I could see it more frequently. But basically, he acknowledged. You have us. it just like pasted over your son's crib. Yeah. Well, I should. Well, that's like Mark Hamill wished Gus happy uh, birth. <laughs> happy birth, Gus. Um, I gotta get that printed out too. Mark Hamill and Adam Grow will be the only two things on Gus's wall. <laughs> Dad, I'm 20. I don't know who these people are. <laughs> shut up, shut up. <laughs> Look, when you moved out, I said I got control. You could have just put it on the wall once. Didn't need to be wallpapered. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just surrounded by Adam Grow faces. I can't imagine a worse fate. Um, uh, you mean better? No, I said I said I can imagine one. Like, oh, that okay. I thought you said I can't imagine. No, I would never say that. <laughs> I'm telling him you said that, <laughs> Justin. I'm uh, telling Adam Grow on you. <laughs> please don't. Please don't tell him. <laughs> please leave it up. Uh, should we move on back to topic? I guess. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I don't even know, know what we were cash talking cab about. Podcast. That'd be cool with that. Only Cash right. Cab Toronto, though. None of that bullshit Cash Cab Vancouver. Is that not hosted by Adam? You know Grove? what? Cash Cab Vancouver. Okay, this is this has been a nice window into into X Mind, and I'm more concerned than I was before. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Han uses the combat. What? What? We should just end the episode now. The Cash Cab talk is over. So what's even a little the nervous there as you were trying to move on. You're like, uh, well, I'm just, I'm, I don't know what you're going to do now. You, you added Adam grow to that Twitter thread to call me out. And now I feel like cash cab is always watching me. Cash cab is always, always watching. <laughs> it's killed before. It'll kill again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's dark. Cash cab actually did kill somebody. Google it. People. I know, you know, yeah, everyone else. 
But yeah, you know what? It was Cash Cab Vancouver, I think. Hmm. You know, Funny. you know who else killed someone is uh, is Bullocks killed the Annihilator droid, uh, yeah. which I thought there was the theme there of like the the function of the Annihilator droid was to kill stuff, and there'd been all this talk about the function of droids. Uh, so Bullocks had to end this droid's function, and there's a uh, there's a lot of depth there. There's a lot the of what uh, are you talking about? You just completely derailed the podcast. You have no remorse for it, do you? Okay, so no, continue. I'm kind of curious. That was that was done with that point. I was going to say Han used the cover to go and literally blow the entire facility just into orbit. Just this building floating. Yeah, near and the space. way it works is like basically stars and is like a tower on an asteroid, and Han basically blows it up so the tower goes flying. Yeah, and like so, for the last little bit of the book, the tower is basically in takeoff, and then eventually hits the apex, and then it's in free fall mode. Um, so it's kind of an interesting uh, way to end the or interesting way to frame the final action, I guess. Yeah, they do mention the uh, the fact that the building is made of like uh, really expensive, extra molecularly bonded stuff, but I guess they just didn't bond it to the ground very well, or <laughs> there's like a little section of earth that is or asteroid that is floating around with it it's very unclear and it's a very weird mental image to have so i tried not to picture it too much yeah just this the whole, skyscraper the whole flying ending, through i would space. say is the weakest part of the book in my yeah. opinion the whole last kind of adventure. it started feeling a little hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy of just like uh we're there it's like lampshaded deus ex stuff with like i i have no idea what the uh what the last hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy book was about having mm. read it multiple times <laughs> uh, but i was getting those vibes here yeah like for me the action like at the end like is like so basically they they set the shit into orbit um they start liberating all the prisoners and then the act it's like they're running through hallways and shit and i'm just like really like, all right like yeah can I get to the point like let's get off here because <laughs> it was kind of Kind of messy, in my opinion. Yeah, so they they get all the prisoners out. Uh, then Hurricane is trying to like make a bargain with Han to leave like his wife <laughs> and his staff behind, and he can just get on the ship. Uh, yeah. But then his wife shoots him, and uh, yeah. everyone leaves. Yeah, and that's presumably she says something like, "This is for eating the last piece of cake or something." Okay, come on. That's well. That's that's how it's written. That's not what I'm saying. Is I it? never even saw her. I don't know what she looks like. I don't know. I mean, pretty fat, but... All right, so I'm going to be taking applications for a new co-host for the next episode. Uh, it's not going to be Charlie. Uh-huh. <laughs> Charlie can't read. Adam Grow. Hey, listen, if you can get Adam Grow, replace me right away. I was just going to ask, like, Alex or something. Okay. Yeah, also pretty good. <laughs> All right, well, uh, uh, any other... That's the end of my star's end thoughts. Yeah, that's the end of mine too. A fun story, a little nice, nice little adventure. Um, yeah, would recommend. Yeah, it's cheap. You can get all three. Uh, like I was trying to track down the individual books because you've got a nice copy of like you've got you've yeah. each one in that black uh, kind of like original yeah, I've got cover. All three here. Uh, but speaking of value, I do have a one of the like directly printed into the cover stickers 
Uh, <laughs> oh my god, I hate those. This book was initially a 1485 value, <sighs> 1785 in Canada. Now only 599, 699 in Canada. Man, my my book, I got a book like that today, and they had the original price printed into the pages. Like it's so annoying. Why would why do you do that? But uh, but you can get the whole. Tri- I got mine off Amazon. You can get the whole trilogy, um, for eleven bucks Canadian, eight bucks American. So yeah, it's so it's it. more expensive now. That that inflation always gets you. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So I think we'll hold off on the rankings for this one until yeah uh, until we've read all three and then kind of put it in together rather than trying to separate it because it's gonna it's gonna be fairly similar. They're all pretty. If short. we even decide to rank it, I think there's a chance we don't. We'll see. That's uh, that's kind of heresy, but uh, you know what? It's fine. You're... Mm. The next one is actually. It looks like it might be a little bit shorter than. Mm, cool. this one. Uh, no, I'm just estimating based on the number of pages that I'm holding right now. But either way, they're all pretty short. So if we do rank them, then yeah, I think together is yeah, the I way agree. to do it. Um, but yeah, we do have some emails. Basically all I had to say, general thoughts, though, I, I quite enjoyed the book. I especially enjoyed, like I said, just the regular smuggling stuff. Um, I thought the ending was a little weak. It was kind of hard to follow what was going on. But a pretty cool look into uh, how Star Wars was for a while, for a time. Yeah, and that's how I usually feel about the podcast, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I also enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to reading the other two. I was actually kind of worried about uh, going back and reading this where I I was expecting it to be a lot worse, uh, but I actually really enjoyed it. So, yay. Good. Yay. Yay. Uh, um, so I guess before we leave then, we will just deal with some emails. We'll okay. deal with them. Yeah, we're going to just deal with the email. So... Uh, if there's anyone who wants to ask any questions as well uh, in the chat, if you just tag me, so do at Corey's datapad in chat, uh, we'll do the email questions. And then once that's done, if there's any questions that have happened in chat, uh, ideally uh, kept around the topic of the book, uh, then we'll we'll do that. At Corey, boxers or briefs? No. That's, that's a, a question for like a, a topical episode mm-hmm. where... Anything involving uh, Cornhorn. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I, I think just for uh, for the episodes no, that no, are about what's specific, the horniest though. Star Wars book? <laughs> I think for the episode, no, uh, everything written by Michael Stackpole. Okay. Is I think I Jedi I Jedi for sure that we've covered so far, and I don't know that it's ever being topped. Have you read Lost Stars? That's a horny ass book. Uh. We'll we'll have to we'll have to compare that when we get to Lost Stars. We'll okay, have our um, iJedi notes and see like how many stack pulls we give Lost Stars. Oh God! Uh, the first email is from Asher, who basically mentions that he's working on a adaptation of New Jedi Order. I think he sent me a picture of the Mediator, which looks pretty cool, kind of in a uh, Dark Empire style. Uh, I wonder if you had any opinions on how Star Wars Legends novels like NJO should be adapted into a visual media like comic. Uh, well, you can't you can't not abridge something that long. I don't think mm-hmm. because it would just be too damn. Like if, honestly, they do a good job with the Thrawn trilogy. I think that's a good guide to how to adapt something. Yeah. I don't like the art for that comic, but yeah, agreed. Uh, what type of stuff should be cut out altogether? Uh, generally, with comics like that, you want to cut some of the side stories wholesale. 
Uh, so I really that just comes down to like which stuff you really want to focus on. Mm. So they're always more action focused and like, yeah. Uh, um, is there anything that you'd really want to see in comic form? Is there like a, a series for you that would be your top choice to become a my comic? dream? Uh, besides for the swarm war, um, I honestly think that you could make a pretty good legacy of the force comic. Yeah, me too. Um, legacy of the force would be cool. Um, either that or like maybe labyrinth of evil, actually. Not a bad, that's not a bad choice actually. Yeah. Um, like NJO is just not really practical. I think for like a yeah. publisher to do, there's just too much. Like, there's and you already much. have like the invasion comics and stuff, where I think you kind of see what that would be like. And I think there's a reason that that's less mm-hmm. liked than the rest of NJO as well. Yeah. So, I would. I don't. Is there a comic that like does the do any of the Knights of the Republic comics actually follow the video games? I've never really read any of them. I don't know if there's a direct comic form of them, but it's like the stories are kind of around there for some. Yeah. Of them. I, I was probably, thinking about saying that. the uh, some of the old Republic books, but there's already a lot of like uh, comics from that period, so I don't think it's yeah. really necessary. But I'm also kind of thinking this of like where, where would we get the most new ship designs, which is probably not the best way to be thinking about the question. Well, Legacy of the Force is a good option for that. Yeah, I'm just like trying to think too, like which characters have I never seen really drawn that I'd like to see, and like you get a lot of them in Legacy of the Force. So yeah, uh, um, yeah. So thank you for that question. Uh, Andrew asks, why is smuggling so prevalent? And I'm just going to guess because the Empire is so... Well, there's so much shit in the galaxy and the uh, governments are often totalitarian. Yeah, I think like the out-of-universe reason for that is just that we kind of talked about how a lot of books start like trying to play on the beats of the movies and Mm -hmm. because... uh, like it makes sense that for what they were doing, Luke and Obi Wan needed a smuggler, uh, but then because there was a smuggler and all that and stuff with the Huts and everything, that gets uh, magnified in like future stories where yeah. now everything is kind of about smuggling. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. And I mean, there's lots of stuff in the galaxy, lots of illegal stuff. Everyone wants stuff cheap. Um, it's fun writing with the underworld. Um, also, can you do a kid's version of Tap Cat for Charlie? No, Charlie can't even read children's books. So, um, Daniel asks a pretty simple lore question. Uh, is there any evidence that Jedi knew about Order 66? Um, I don't think so. Do you plan on covering the new EU books or just Legends? We've talked about we'll eventually cover the new EU books, especially as they release. Um, yeah, uh, we got a couple emails. I think there was also another one from Asher asking like similar questions. For any emails like that... Uh, just the blanket answer is kind of yes. I don't know yeah. Uh, yeah. how many will directly respond to on the podcast, but if you have a question about, like, if we're going to get to a specific book or thing, mm-hmm. then... Probably. Yeah, the the general answer is eventually yes. It's just we we don't have a, a fixed schedule for when we're doing yep. stuff. We're just kind of going in chronological order with a few breaks to check out, uh, like, what we're doing right now with Han Solo Adventures between certain other stuff. But, yep. uh, but yeah. Um, and Paul also correctly points out that some elements of this book, including, he mentioned Star Zen, but I know Bollocks as well, have been canonized in a new canon tie-in book, which is cool. Um, yeah, I think that's a nice reference. I will say too, we mentioned we might do the next, um, Alphabet Squadron book, I think. So we'll see how about that. Um, is there any, uh, I can't really think of too many other new canon books I'm super excited for. 
New Thrawn eventually, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Ascendancy trilogy should be good. And I think now that Episode Nine is out, there will probably be a bit more freedom with uh, sure. with some of the books and being able to go different directions. So I'm kind of interested to see how that goes. But I think there's even a junior novel coming out after Episode Nine. I think mm-hmm. I heard that. But yeah. Uh, um, we got another question you... from Joel uh, asking about uh, certain stuff being brought back into new canon and whether certain things would be brought in wholesale or certain periods. Uh, so specifically asking, do you think Disney hasn't touched this era being KOTOR era because of the popularity of the MMO and KOTOR games? Or do you think when it was time to explore this area in canon, one of these big uh, tentpole eras of the pre-Phantom Menace timeline will get axed? And I don't think it's really a popularity thing. I think it's just these aren't areas areas that necessarily directly impacted mm. their ability to tell stories. Because uh, if it was just about popularity, like Thrawn trilogy probably wouldn't have been part of the reboot or wouldn't have been rebooted in the same way. Yeah. Uh, it's just they don't really have any stories they were trying to tell in the early areas or earlier eras. Uh, so it. it doesn't really conflict with anything. And eventually a decision will have to be made on like the Tor MMO, KOTOR. Uh, and it seems just as likely at this point that they'd be brought in as not. But it mm-hmm. could be more of a soft reboot where it's like it's implied that a lot of the same stuff happens, but then there's still yeah. room for it to be overwritten. Uh, That's what especially I'm with my money on, Tor coming Although, still. Yeah, sorry, you cut out anything here at the end there. But I will say like the way the higher public is styled, it kind of to me suggests there might be more of a dramatic difference in technology 4,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, so I've kind of just dis- been working under the assumption that they haven't had anything ready, so they haven't wanted to write themselves in a corner yet. But <laughs> and I agree, it is just as likely. I think most likely would be soft reboot, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like yeah, it, but I, I don't think there's any like specific just... reason that they're not doing it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So they're not going to fully canonize the game or anything like no. that, though. Um. I think the last question is from Daniel. In episode 9, Rose says that Leia asked her to study the specs of old Star Destroyers to help defeat the fleet of Exegol. Does this mean the Zeiston is an old ship, or is it literally just a larger ISD-1 with a super laser? I have not read the novelization, so is it answered there? I don't remember if that's answered in the novelization. Um, I think it's literally just that it's a larger ISD-1 with a super laser, and I think this, the decision on the ship scale was made after... Yeah, the script definitely. was written it was basically i think it was initially intended to be just isd1 with a super laser and that at some point in the movie's development jj was like can we set the scale factor to four or mm-hmm. not four but like slightly bigger yeah. uh so i think it's it's just a, a side effect of how uh the design was changed as the movie went on from yeah. the script to the actual implementation i wouldn't I, I guess that means that, like, the interior of the Zeist and all the hallways are, like, four times the size and stuff. Yeah. It's like, you gotta, like, get your toilet paper. Like, like, like did you buy Zeist sized toilet paper? Because we got these rolls and they're huge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we got a few questions in chat here. Uh, first one is uh, Voice of Hades, or actually, Goodman asked, How old is Chewbacca? He's about 200. By the time of the original trilogy, and not particularly old for for a Wookie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Voice of Hades asks, "Who's your most like Jedi besides the big names like Luke, Leia, or Anakin?" 
So Ooh, that's a tough to... one. I like. Well, I... one of the solo kids probably, yeah. but I consider those to be the big ones in Legends. Yeah. Like I like Corrin quite a bit. Um... Corrin's grown on me over the podcast just because there has been so much of him, though. Yeah. I don't. I honestly don't know. I don't know. I, I would have to. I honestly need to see a list of just like a gazillion Jedi yeah. in front of me to pick one out. I like Obi Wan a lot. Um, Qui Gon's pretty epic. Yeah. Like if Jaina and Jason don't count because like Jason is my favorite yeah. Star Wars character and Jane is up there as well, then mm-hmm. I'd probably say Silgal. Uh, I Silgal is definitely a good choice. Like. If there was if there was one application of the like Marge Simpson, I just think they're neat meme for me. It's just Silgal. I just think they're neat. <laughs> um, that's funny. Uh, if you don't say Streen, you're not a ride or die. Just for I, the record, I don't like Streen at all. <laughs> Uh, what do you think of the inhibitor chips? Uh, I've I've never really I'd say liked we that talked about this last Yeah, episode. we covered it a fair bit on the, the yeah. Clone Wars episode. And uh, Giant Cannon, the last question for the night, says, why do you think they are reusing old Legends material instead of creating more unique content like High Republic? Uh, like, I'd say a lot of that just comes down to the discretion of the individual authors. Yeah. Like, especially for authors like Timothy Zahn, who worked in both universes, he tends to bring in more of what he'd been working with before uh some authors that have been uh part of legends or just fans of legends before are more likely to bring in stuff they have a lot of latitude to kind of do what they want to do outside of like not uh causing issues with other stuff that's going to be coming out mm-hmm. so i think yeah, that's a I big just, part like you don't always need to reinvent the wheel i don't think yeah so, like if there's a cool character that's being inve- been invented that's compelling and that People are you already know people like, and you'll be making those people happy, and why not? Yeah, like it doesn't bother me. Like people sometimes get a little bothered because it's like, oh, they decanonized it, but they brought it back in. Yeah, they've always kind of said they were going to do that. It was never an issue for me. Whereas, like, if you don't like Thrawn in the new canon or whatever, then okay, well, Thrawn trilogy is still there, and a lot of it is written by Timothy Zahn. So, yeah. It's his character. I actually like. Uh, I do. I gotta say, I do like uh, Ben Solo a lot. He's pretty cool. Hmm. Like as a one of the Jedi, and I, I think they specifically say New Jedi Order. I don't know, but I would include him as one of my favorites. Who's Ben Solo? Uh, he's that guy that was in the sequel trilogy for a couple minutes. I think he had a famous line. It was, oof. <laughs> oh, the guy with like the chest and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, another like that's another bad. character kind of like Han, where I hope we get like the the Ben Solo adventures to kind of flesh out one of those more yeah, minor this, characters. Yeah, but unironically, <laughs> like. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's uh, that's it for me. Is there yeah. anything for you? No, we will be streaming some Sea of Thieves in half an hour, guys. If you're watching this on YouTube, yeah. um, we'll be doing it here uh, or not here, but on. Corey's gaming channel, Corey Loses, and also on X2, which is sort of our joint channel. Yeah, so hope you guys have enjoyed this Tap Calf episode. Uh, again, next Thursday, which is the 28th, yes, 28th, we are going to be doing Han Solo's Revenge, uh, one of the angstiest titles, definitely the angstiest of the three titles we've got here. Yes. Lost Easy. Legacy comes close, but... 
Uh, I don't think Han Solo's revenge can be beaten on the angst level there. I don't like the, the sound of Lost Legacy. It sounds like vaguely like some sort of white supremacy Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. And just like the picture would just be like a Swedish guy standing in the ocean or something. <laughs> be like very, very homoerotic is like one thing I noticed about <laughs> a lot of those. Like for some reason, he's got no pants on. Yeah, okay, well, uh, thanks for watching, everyone. But uh, have a good night, everyone.